Listen, we want to welcome you to Life Center Canada. My name is Pastor Mitch. I'm the campus pastor here at this amazing campus. And uh, last week we opened up our Christmas series. And it was amazing. We talked about the peace of God and the gift of peace that God has brought to us. And now every single week, that'll be right here on stage right, your left. And uh, so that we can remember, we talked about this last week, that God's peace wasn't just for last Sunday, but it's for eternity. Amen? We sang about that this morning. This morning, though, we are going deeper. So not only are we talking about peace, are we talking about shalom with God? And we went through this amazing story in the Gospels of this woman who was uh, brought out in front of Jesus and all of the crowd and the Pharisees at the time, they tried to just place her in this moment of shame and place her in this moment of guilt. And instead, Jesus stepped in. And brought peace, just like he does for our lives. Not to bury us in our sin, but instead to give us freedom from our sin. And freedom that we can go on and sin no longer. And this morning, we're going to talk about our second gift that God has given us. But before we do, I just want to ask you, who here enjoys Christmas carols? Christmas carols, like those old, oh yeah, so good, right? So good. Just think of your favorite one right now. And uh, if it's We Three Kings, then you're right. Then you're right. Because We Three Kings is the best Christmas carol of all time. It is the best Christmas carol of all time. There is nothing better, right? We Three Kings of, and then you get to the, the chorus and it's, go, right? Like, oh, so good. So good. And I don't know what your favorite Christmas carol is, but We Three Kings has always been that for me. Uh, when I was growing up in church, we had the hymnals out in Christmas time. You got to go to like the back of the hymnal book, and there was all of these carols, right? It was amazing. We Three Kings, woefully underdone, but not by me. Uh, but We Three Kings was amazing. Uh, the other one that not only do I really enjoy singing, but what I found is that it's actually a favorite here as well well at, uh, at Life Center. And so just as I just did, let's do that again. But this time, if you know it, sing it with me. Silent night. Don't leave me alone. Holy night. Come on. All is calm. All is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Here we go. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. Okay. All right, Life Center. Not bad. Not bad. And so not only is that an amazing, amazing song, but it's also a favorite here at Life Center. In fact, on Christmas Eve, led by much more talented people than myself, uh, we are going to be singing that by candlelight. And from what I've heard and what I've understood is not only is it a tradition, but it's a personal favorite for many who call Life Center home. But that was pretty good. Y'all did a good job, all right? And I wasn't as off as I thought I was. We'll talk to people who actually sing afterwards. Maybe that's just my ear playing tricks again, all right? But that was pretty good. Not only is that song absolutely amazing, but when you look at it, 
through the lens of the verses that we're going to walk through today, it brings new light to the song. Church, I just want to encourage you today that we are blessed. We're blessed here in Canada to be able to sit in this room today, worship God together, proclaim the name of Jesus loudly and boldly until he comes, to pray over each other, to sing these songs, and to stand on the solid rock that is our foundation, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are blessed here in Canada. This song actually talks about this incredible juxtaposition that's taking place actually in the time when Jesus was around. See, it brings in contrast uh, the reality of the promise of King Jesus and also the current king who was Herod. The first Christmas is actually a story about two kings because we have to remember that even though Jesus, when he was born, was just a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. We have to remember that even in that moment, he was king. Even in that moment, he was king. See, Matthew, the author of the gospel in which we will start this morning, he wrote his gospel with his intended audience being the Jewish people of his time. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago as we were going through Trust Scripture, that we have to remember that the Bible wasn't written to us, but because of the Holy Spirit, it is for us. Amen? The Bible wasn't written to us, but because of the Holy Spirit, it is for us. But Matthew wrote his gospel. He wrote his personal account of Jesus' life with the Jewish people in mind. Luke, where we will also go today, just as, 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 as a little contrast here, Luke's gospel was actually written to those who didn't grow up with the Jewish traditions. Luke's gospel was written specifically for the Gentiles of the time, those who were included in God's plan because of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. See, there's something interesting going on. We're going to read here in just a second. Matthew chapter 2, 1 verses 3. If you have that and, and, and you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. See, there's something interesting going on in this scripture today. Matthew has an intended audience that he is speaking to. And when something is a significant part of your history, as you're sharing that story, the way that it's recorded, the way that people experience it is directly and, and significantly dis, uh, different than how you yourself are experiencing it. See, I can, empathize, I can empathize with you as you share your story to me, but you actually lived it. It's like when I tell you that one of my favorite things about high school growing up was football. Some of you are, are hearing that for the first time and Already in your mind, you're maybe thinking of your high school to try to put it in context. You're thinking of your football teams that maybe you watched as you were growing up. But as I'm sharing that story, I'm there on the field with all the people who were there with me. And I know many of you today are wondering, what in the world, what were you even doing on the football field? But I'm here to tell you, just to put a little more context to the image that you already, I was a linebacker in high school football. And some of you that know football are like, there's no way. But I was. 
And I was crushing people out there. And so that's why high school football was so important to me. But when I share that in this room, you're painting a picture of what that looks like through your experiences and through what you've seen. But for me, it looks a little differently. And for those who are on the field with me, when I share the story about high school football, for them, it's a little different as well. Do you see how, how, how uh, just that firsthand account? And as we look into Matthew's uh, uh, gospel here, I want us to to read together, but then I want us to step out of our own viewpoint and into his. I want to give a fuller context this morning to why Matthew wrote what he wrote and what the cultural understanding of the time would have been as years after Jesus' birth, years after Jesus' death and his resurrection, people would have been reading these words. So it says this in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, we three kings, come on, it's all tying together, came from Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. But when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled And because he was troubled, all of Jerusalem with him. See, Matthew, who lived under King Herod, would never have penned the exact words written for Silent Night. It wasn't a silent night. It wasn't all calm. It wasn't all peaceful. As King Herod heard the words that Jesus had been born, as he heard the words that the the wise men had come, he was troubled, and because he was troubled, all of Jerusalem was with him. Even though Jesus was just a baby, that night was not tender and mild, but instead it was full of trouble. When King Herod was troubled, and as his decrees went, all of the kingdom would have felt a quake. See, Herod, unlike King Jesus, like all the kings before him, ruled through fear. And if he was troubled and he was afraid, then as oftentimes as kings would rule, their method would be to move the fear off of themselves and onto those whom they were supposed to serve. Let's continue reading our story this morning. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. In the original Christmas story, what takes place next is actually difficult to fathom. 
Many times as we walk into this Christmas season, we are overcome with, with, with feelings of love and joy and peace and happiness and great expectation that we get to celebrate the birth of our soon coming king. Amen? But at this time, what was going on, it wasn't so festive. Mary and Joseph were actually denied even a place to sleep. I always just fathom at that. And you will hear this every Christmas from me because it just blows my mind. From the moment that I realized this story to the moment that I'm standing here today, not only was this a difficult time, but Mary and Joseph, the birth of their son Jesus, at this time, they are alone, they are vulnerable, and they've been abandoned. See, if you know the story that, that Matthew is describing here, Mary and Joseph, they actually have come back for their census, right? They've, they've, they've journeyed, and they're back in Bethlehem. They're back to Joseph's hometown. And if you know anything about uh, ancient civilizations and, and what it would mean for someone to come back to their hometown, they have returned to the place where Joseph's family is. But wait a second. Then why is it in the gospel accounts that it says that when Mary and Joseph got to Joseph's hometown, they went straight to an inn? If Joseph's family is here, why are they going to an inn? And Joseph is even denied entry to the inn. See, here in this story, not only are, are they vulnerable, not only is, is Jesus born into this moment of, 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 of happiness, but also there's fear for Mary and Joseph. What would it mean to deliver your own baby alone with just your husband at your side? And husbands in this room, maybe you're more gifted than me, but wives, wow, poor Mary, because I was useless. Right? At the birth of both of my kids, like, Mary, like, I'm sorry, you're on your own. Like, poor Joseph. He's probably passed out, right? Some of y'all, that's all too real, because for me, it was a lot. All right. And so, you just remember in these moments that even though the, the story of Jesus' birth, listen, this is a huge moment for all of creation. This is a huge moment for eternity. It's a huge moment for us today. But at the time of this story, for the people who were directly involved, it is equally horrific as it is predictable about what it is that's about to happen. And Matthew specifically includes this in his gospel because for him as a Jewish man, it's deeply personal. See, we're going to read this next part of this story, Matthew 2, 16 to 18. But as he was penning this story in his gospel... He would have personally known the names of the children and the families that were affected by this. Let's read. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years and under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel was weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they care no more. Matthew 2, 16 and 18. Again, in Bethlehem, in the region, all was not calm. Church, I'm so thankful, as I said at the beginning, that we 
are so blessed here in Canada that our kids have schools that they can go to, a government that even when it's at its worst, like we are still in such a healthy place. Like to just bear witness to what we had this morning. Our junior highs are with us today in the service. Shout out to all the junior highs. Love you guys. You got to hear me sing. You're like, why couldn't we have missed that? I get it. I get it. I understand. But here in this moment, all is not calm and all is not bright. Can we just take a moment today and can we pray for our kids? And not just our kids, but can we pray for the kids all around the world? See, one of the beautiful things about the internet and, 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 and about what it's done is it's made the world a lot smaller. And what we're able to do this morning, not everybody is able to do. And so I just want to lift up all the kids around the world and place them before God. Because I sense, even in these verses, Matthew's lamentations about what's happening to his people. So let's pray today. Because everyone who lives and breathes belongs to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you, God, that we're able to dive into your word. But Lord, I lift up all the kids today, God. Lord, I lift up every single young person. And Lord, I pray great destiny over every single one of their lives. Here in Canada, God, and all around the world. Lord, I pray that your angels right now today, God, would stand beside each of them. God, I pray that families would be comforted. I pray that hope would reign in this season. And God, any ill will, any ill uh, and evil plan directed towards a young person today, we stand in the gap for them, God. And we say, in Jesus' name, let there be peace. In Jesus' name, let there be joy. In Jesus' name, let there be love. And we just proclaim that, God, and we place the rest in your hands. Amen. So why does Matthew include the retelling of this in the story of Jesus? Matthew, what are you doing? I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but this morning it's a somber note in the room. Matthew, why are you including this? When you're describing the, the birth of Jesus, why include this painful part uh, as the Jewish people are reading this, this painful part of our history? Some of them reading it, remembering, being there personally. But on the surface, it seems to be actually the same reason that Matthew starts his, his gospel with a genealogy as this to say, if I don't root this story in real people, in actual historical events, this story and where it goes from here is so wondrous, is so preposterous, is so beyond understanding that people might think he's just making it up. See, church, Jesus is almost too good to be true. But verse 19 of Matthew 2, he, he includes the most profound reason why this story is included. And if you're just reading it quickly, it's easy to mix. And if you haven't built that context, it's easy for it to just be four simple words, and we can miss it. But the Jewish people of the time wouldn't have. See, if your Matthew, who lived in Bethlehem, including these four words, was just as important as including all of those past verses. Because again, when King Herod was troubled, all in his kingdom would have felt the quake. And these are the four words that Matthew wrote in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, 
See, Herod the king, who had caused so much pain and who had ruled by fear, Matthew proclaims that we are not to forget he is dead. And the next word in the telling of the story of Jesus has to be caught more than taught. It says, behold. Behold, an angel appeared. Behold, the angel declares, there is a new king. We now live in a new kingdom. And it is not one of fear, but one of love, which conquers all fear. Amen? Our kingdom, the kingdom that God has made, is not one of fear, but one of love. And so now we'll head over to our height-appropriate gift. As I pull out the second word today for this season, which is love. The kingdom of God is built on peace. The kingdom of God is built on, everybody say it, love. And not a love that thinks only of itself. Amen? But a love that would so willingly sacrifice that he himself would go from manger to the cross willingly. And so here we see that this is the world that Jesus is stepping us into when Luke, who we, we know is writing to the Gentiles, when he begins to, to talk about the Christmas Eve story, he notices these exact words. Luke, also being a Jew himself, would have picked up on the Gospel of Matthew and, and, and the Holy Spirit begins to tie these things together as only he can. So watch what Luke in chapter 2 uh, says on Christmas Eve about King Jesus. He says this, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Fear not, for behold, I bring you great news and great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, the message of King Herod for all of his people was fear. But the message of King Jesus for all of his people is fear not. The message for King Herod is all about being served and ruling through, through this, this, this idea of making everybody else feel less. But the message of King Jesus is about serving and actually stepping to the back of the line so that everyone else can feel their proper worth in his father's story. The message of King Herod is rooted in loss, but the message of King Jesus is rooted in love. This is why Matthew includes those four, transition, those four transformational words when writing his gospel. He, he begins to uh, invest love into the story of all of the people who would read it to remind them that they have not been called to have a spirit of fear, but instead that the gift of love has been given to us. Like the shepherds in the field, this is a gift that we need to choose to behold. Matthew 28, 20, as he closes the gospel, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says this, Behold, church, behold, unto you a king has come. The Savior of the world has been given. And Jesus, before he leaves to go sit beside his Father for all of eternity, says to his disciples, Behold, I am with you always, 
to the end of the age. See, Herod and all those like Herod, all sin, all strongholds will one day be no more. Amen? Church, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Herod, like all those like him, all sin and all strongholds that the enemy will bring against God's created people will one day be no more. David, a king, had a revelation of a greater king in Jesus. And this morning, I want to invite you all to stand as I read Psalm 27 over each of us today. Oh, I'm excited. Man, I love the Bible. Like poetry and reality. King David. Giving insight from the Holy Spirit. For the season that was to come. Which is so easy for us as we look at our own circumstances and, the all, and all the things that stand against us. How easy for, is it for us to forget to behold that Jesus is who he says that he is. And that we stand on victory's side. So church, again, just as we did the closing moments of our worship service, would you position yourself this morning to receive these words? See, David was a bit... David was, as he was penning this, this amazing song, there's, there's a shift in the divine of, of an exchange from fear to the gift of King Jesus' love. And David wrote these words in Psalm 27. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Hallelujah. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of the things that I have done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet, behold, I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Why? Because in the loving person of Jesus, church, hope has come.